Thank you for tuning in to Church on the Rock podcast. We have a great sermon in store for you. We hope this message challenges you, builds you, and motivates you into taking the next step in your purpose with God. Enjoy the sermon. I get the honor of ministering to you guys today. If you could turn with me to Mark 6, verses 30, and I'll be reading out of King James. And is anybody happy about the fall? I love Fall is my favorite time of the year, man. I can't, you can't beat the fall. The weather's perfect. It's football season, but, it's, but we don't have a team in Tennessee that can win, so. <sighs> Mark 6.30. I'll be reading from the King's James, and uh, I'll start in verse 30. And it says, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and, a re- and rest for a while. For, they will, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of the cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and, and said, This is a desert place. Somebody say, This is a desert place. And now the time has far passed. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread. For they have nothing to eat. And he answered unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy it two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? He saith, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fish. And he commanded unto them, Make them all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed it. And break, the, and break the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all, and they all did eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fishes, and they did all eat the loaves. There were about 5,000 men. Amen? So just in context, there's John the Baptist has just passed away, and, and Jesus uh, has just gotten word from his disciples. He uh, finds out that John the Baptist has, has, has died. So this is a very uncomfortable moment um, uh, for Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus gets the, gets the idea. He says, let's go to this desert place and find rest. And they go to this desert place. And um, on the way there, a crowd of people begin to, gather, uh, begin to fi- find out that Jesus is headed on foot. And they say, let's follow him. We don't know where he's going. Let's just follow him. And Jesus takes them to this desert place. And he's moved with compassion that these people have, 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 have followed him all the way this long distance. Amen. He says, hey, they followed me to a desert place. And he says, you know, how, how much do you have? to the disciples, because the disciples are thinking in their minds about how they're going to feed all these people. And, and they say, uh, we have fi- uh, five loaves and two fish, amen? amen? And he says, give it to me, and he blesses it, amen? Yes, he gives it before God and blesses it. And before you knew it, there's 5,000 uh, men, not counting the women and children, that are eating fried fish and Logan Roadhouse rolls with butter just dripping down. Amen? 
So I want to talk to you today about finding rest in a desert place, amen, because he, he, he leads them to this, this, this desert place, and it's almost like an oxymoron because he says, let's find a rest in this desert place, amen, and Jesus is, is, he's many things all at once, amen, he's a savior, he's a healer, he's a teacher, he's all these things all at once, and so when he moves, he's moving as a savior, when he moves He's always moving as a healer. When he moves, he's always moving as a teacher. So in this, this, this aspect, he's moving as a teacher. Is, so I want to focus on him as the teacher right now because he's, he's using finding a rest in a desert place almost is like an oxymoron because he says, let's find a rest. You normally find a rest in a comfortable place, amen? But he takes them to a desert place. A desert place is a place that's empty. It's uncomfortable, amen? It's dried up. There's no, there's no source, there's no provision, it's a desert place. But he says, this is the place that I choose for us to find rest. Amen? So he says, let's find rest here. And I, I love it because, like I said, whenever, whenever he moves, you got you to gotta watch how Jesus moves. And so we, we got we to gotta see him as the teacher right now. We got to see him as the teacher. Because if there's something about rest that's so important. There's something about rest. Amen? I think it's, I think it's the most you know, uh, underestimated attribute of being a child of God is rest. Uh, because rest is, is, when you think about it, it's almost like our intended state. Amen. When God created the heavens and the earth, when he created the heavens and the earth, you know, for, you know, from day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, he says, let there be light. He says, you know, he creates the, all the fish. He creates all the animals. He creates the seas, the sun, the moon, the stars. Then on the seventh day, he says, I'm going to call the seventh day the sanctified day. Amen? Amen. And I always thought it was because he, he finished his work on the seventh day that he sanctified the seventh day. He said, no, I'm sanctifying the seventh day. I'm calling it the most important day because it's the day that I rested. It says... I'm calling the seventh day sanctified because it's the day that I rested. So God's saying the rest is, all, rest is my favorite state. It's my eternal state. It's the only thing that God did in day one through seven that was eternal. Amen. He said this is my eternal state. And then he creates Adam and Eve. And he looks, he looks at Adam first and says, it's not good that you be alone. It's the only creation that he, he created and said, I got, I got to improve this. And he puts Adam into a deep rest. And in Adam's rest, he says, I'm going, to create, I'm going to create Eve. In Adam's rest, he says, I'm going to complete you, Adam. So we can't underestimate rest, amen? It's, 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 where, it's where we belong, amen? It, when we think about rest, rest, rest in, in its ultimate state is the state where you hear from God the best. It's the only state that you can hear from God. God, God, cannot, God cannot bless you out of frustration. When, when God, when Jesus fed the 5,000, what he was saying, what he, what he was saying is he said, before I can b- provide a manifestation and a miracle, you have to find rest. That's good. That's good. I cannot bless you out of your frustration. I cannot bless you out of your sadness and your anger. I cannot take you to the next level. You cannot see my manifestation until you rest. Re- it's rest first, then the manifestation. You want to find healing, you need to find rest. You, you want to find provision, you need to find rest. Amen. The manifestation happens in rest. And so we ask ourselves, oh, what exactly is rest? Amen. Rest is rest is you turning off your mind. Amen. It's you turning off. This thing right here is the it's the ignorant you. Somebody say it's the ignorant me. When, when the Bible says meditate on the word day and night, it's saying get out of your mind. Amen. Meditation at its truest sense is getting out of your mind. 
He says, get out of your mind. And then, and then also, it's, it's where I hear from God the best. It's where I experience God. Rest is a truest sense where you experience God, and I'm resting on his promises. I'm resting on it. No, no matter where I am in life, I'm resting on his promises. I could be in a desert place, but I'm resting on his promises. I'm resting. I'm resting on his promises. Amen. Rest is the ultimate expression of your faith. Amen. Yes. It's basically telling God, I'm ready. Yes. God, God can't move until you say, I'm ready. Amen. When, you, when you're at rest, you're telling God, I'm ready. I'm ready now. I've done all that. I've spoken to it. I spoke. I've prayed. I am ready now. Amen. And we've tried, we've tried, we thought that we could pray in our bitterness and in our, in, in our frustration and fall on our knees and cry. And we thought God would move. We thought he would move, you know, the harder we prayed out of our frustration. It shall come to pass. And, and God is saying, shh, rest. When you rest, I can move. When you rest, you're telling me you are ready. It's, it's getting out of your mind. Your mind is that place. It's the only place. It's, it's the enemy's favorite place to attack you is in your mind. When I'm at rest, I'm not in my mind. He can't come over here in my rest. In your mind is where he wants. In your mind is where the enemy wants you. He wants you in your mind. He's, I can. He's, I can beat you there. I can beat you there. I know I can beat you there. And so many of us, we live out of our minds, and we wonder why life is so hard because you're living in your mind. He can just flip on the news and have you afraid and and, and or angered by just flipping on the news. I, I realized a long time ago, it's like a ten-year-old boy. I was like. Because I used to go home, I used to go to school, my grandfather used to pick me up, and, and all they did was watch news and soap operas. So I realized real fast, I said, I was like, the news does nothing but share news that, that makes you feared or an, an outrage. It's to make you fearful or outraged. There's no other story. They don't tell you about birthday parties or so-and-so turning 120 years old. They want to they share with you fear and outrage. And I remember just being a boy, I'm like, this don't make no sense. Like, I'm from that generation, you know, I'm like a millennial. I come from that generation where stuff just don't make no sense, you know. Stuff just don't make sense, you know. Being a kid, and it's the year 2000 coming up. And, you know, the worst New Year's Eve ever was 1999. Because everybody was as afraid. As a kid, I'm like, what's going on? Why are y'all so afraid? They say, because everything's going to shut off. Everything, like, every, ain't nothing going to work no more. I'm like, see, I didn't prepare for this. Like, ain't nothing gonna work. The news was that they were praising people who were in, in their backyard digging holes, talk, building bunkers. Every time you turn on the news, it was somebody in the backyard just, and, just building bunkers, stacking up canned good foods. And see, he said, "I'm ready. I'm prepared. I'm ready." And then you had West Nile. People didn't go outside for two months. And then after West Nile, after you weren't scared of West Nile no more, they brought up Ebola. Ebola had everybody walking around Walmart like a heart surgeon. Everybody just has all these masks on, all these gloves. Talking about I ain't getting Ebola today. You got to buy the Ebola gloves. These gloves, you can't get through Ebola. And then, what was, what was the next one? It was like anthrax in the mail. Anthrax in the mail was where these people, the news was telling you, these people were putting this death powder all over America in the mail. And when you open up to read your bank statement from Bank of America... All this powder just exposes throughout the living room, and everybody in the living room dies. My mama had me checking the mail for a month. A month straight. I'm talking about reading from the hallway. 
<laughs> read me freedom from the hallway. And then I was growing up during the Iraq War. And I'm the news saying the war is taking too long. And I was in the barbershop one day. It was an old man. He was a Vietnam veteran. He said, they're going to send you to the war. You know that, right? He said, they're going to draft you. It ain't a matter if, it's a matter of when. They're going to draft you. I said, I said, really? I said, even if I don't want to go, he said, yeah, they're they going to draft you. I said, he said, he said, he said, the only way out is if you cut off your big toe. I said, I got to cut my big toe off to get out of this thing? He said, yes, but make sure it's the big toe because he said, I knew somebody in the Vietnam War who cut off his pinky toe. They sent him anyway because it wasn't his big toe. I said, man, I said, this is, this is a mess. This is a mess. And you realize real fast by just watching the news and everything that happens around you is to keep you in your natural mind. Amen. Your limited, finite mind. Everybody respond, responds out of their mind. And God's saying to get in my rest, you can't, you can't respond out of your mind. Amen. The first message Jesus preached was, come unto me, who you are, who are heavy. It's one of the first ones he preached. He said, you're heavy and burdened. Come to me and find rest. He said, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said, I got this thing called rest. You're going to need it. You're going to need, you're going to need this thing called rest. And I can give you this place, this thing anywhere. I can give it to you in a desert place. Amen. So I want to give you these three items that Jesus preached about that Jesus did when feeding the 5,000. He takes him to this desert place. And the very, the very first one is isolation. He wanted rest, so he chose isolation. And when you look at Jesus and the disciples, when Jesus came, from, came to earth, he, uh, he became a human being. He humbled himself, amen? And when you look at him and the, the disciples, it was 13 men, 12 disciples. It was 13 men total. They did everything together. They're all on the same playing field. They ate together. They went everywhere together. They went to the synagogues together. But yet, there's one person that's laying hands on the sick and they're recovering. There's one person that's casting out demons. There's one person that's ra raising the dead. And you're asking yourself, what is the difference? They do everything together. They're all the same. Why is there one person who's more effective? And when you look at Jesus' life, he made, the one difference was he made a consistent effort to get away. Whether he was getting away for 40 days and for 40 nights. Or maybe when he just got on the mountainside and decided to pray and then came off the mountainside walking on water. It's what you do in secret that, that's gonna, that, that, that we're going to see your success in the open. Amen. It happens in secret. That's just any area of life. The, the kid with the highest GPA is the kid that was at home studying while everybody was just playing around. The kid, the, the, the boy that's the better basketball player or golfer is the person that was practicing and everybody else wasn't. The person that's more effective in the kingdom is the person who was getting isolation. Amen? It's isolation. And we, we learn what Jesus did in isolation. We know the very first thing, he fasted and he prayed. Amen? When Jesus casted out a, a demon and the, his disciples could not, the reason was... He said, they asked Jesus, he said, why couldn't we cast this demon out? And you could. And you do everything we do. He said, this only comes through fasting and praying. There's some manifestations that only come in your life through fasting and praying. There's some things you, you can't do without fasting and prayer. And then the very next one, when, when, he, when he asked him how to pray, Jesus said, he said, this is the manner in which you pray. And when you look at the Lord's prayer, you can pray that thing in two minutes. So how is he taking a two-minute prayer for 40 days and for 40 nights? I let you know that he's spending so much quiet time hearing from God. Quiet time, rest, being still. 
he's, he's entering into a rest, amen? Quiet time. And then, like I said earlier about meditating day and night, I always thought that meant wake up in the morning and read the Proverbs and go to bed and then read you a good old psalm and then go to bed. But it says day and night. It says meditate day and night. Turn off your mind. Get into your spirit. Let your spirit eat promises. Amen. All throughout the day. Day and night. It's isolation. Amen. I love how when Jesus, when he got baptized, for the, he got baptized, the Bible says that the presence of God descended upon him like a dove and rested on him. Amen. Like a dove. And immediately, immediately, the Bible says the Holy Spirit sent him into isolation. And there he defeated the enemy and was strengthened by angels. And isolation is where I'm strengthened, amen? It's where I'm strengthened. A person, if you're, a person who's, who, who's not winning in life is a person who, ha who has no time for isolation. What would defeat arrest more than anything is a person who's too busy and too distracted. Busyness and distraction defeat rest, amen? The Bible says God rested. When he rested, he just sat down and said, I am. Him, him sitting down and saying, I am, was more important than him creating, creating things. Amen? Isolation. The next thing is Thanksgiving. Amen? When Jesus, when Jesus wanted to uh, uh, have this miracle happen, amen, the Bible says the very first thing he did was he, he went to the, the, the disciples and he said, tell me how much you have. Amen. Jesus knew how much they had, but he wanted them to go look and realize they did not have enough in the physical realm. He said, tell me how much you got. They said five loaves and two fish. The Bible says he, he blessed it. Amen. He gave thanks and he blessed it. And he, and he, he's essentially saying, if you want provision in your life, you need to take what you got already. Amen. And bless it. Amen. Our flesh automatically, one, one of the traits of your flesh is it loves to complain. Everything you complain about right now today was a thing you prayed about early on. Your flesh loves to complain. It loves to, it loves to find a reason to complain. Amen. It loves, to, it loves for you to pray about a job and you're in the, you're in the interview saying, you know, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. I got experience with that. Yeah. I, yeah. That's easy. I can do that. Yeah. Six months later, they don't pay me enough to do this. <laughs> They don't pay me enough. The job that you were once thankful for is another thing that you complain about. Yeah. You, we, we, pray, we pray for spouses and houses and cars, and now it's the thing you complain about. It's the thing you complain. And, and it's not about, because there's somebody out there that, that, that would love your life right now. There's somebody out there that would love your life. They would like, I can, I can, I can be you right now. They would, I can. <laughs> there's somebody out there that would love your life. But here's the thing, it, is, it doesn't matter because we're so focused on what we do not have most times. We're focused on what's not present in my life. But we look at the, the, at the, at the uh, children of Israel, they had more manifestations, more miracles, more breakthroughs than any people in the Bible. Yet they were the people that complained the most. They were the most ungrateful people to the point where, where God said, he said, I cannot take you into my, I cannot take you into my rest, amen. I cannot take you to the promised land. He said, because you refuse to be thankful. You have served me with unjoyful and, and, and no thanksgiving. And, it, and it, it goes to show you that he cannot take you to the next level until you're thankful for what he's already done in your life. Until you get to the point where you're thankful for what he's already done in your life, he cannot take you to the next level. 
the Bible says that Caleb, the one who made it, amen, the one of the ones who made it to the promised land from, from the unthankful generation. We get to see him at the promised land when he, he looks up at the mountain, amen, and, and, and he begins to look back over his life. He begins to look back on how far God's brought him, all these breakthroughs that he's been through. And he begins to say, I'm stronger now at 80 than I am at 40. He said, I was there when he, he opened the Red Sea. I was there when he fed us from heaven. And it was, it was in looking back over his life with gratitude that he looked at a mountain that what didn't even belong to him and said, I want it. God, give me this mountain. Amen. And God said, take the mountain. Amen. It's looking back over my life with gratitude, amen, where I can begin to ask for things, amen. I, I, gotta, I put a bigger demand on God when I'm going to realize the breakthroughs and, and things that he's brought me through, amen. Yeah. The third thing I want to talk about is turning off your mind. Go with me to um, Hebrews 4, verses 1. I'm going to read out the Passions translation. And it says... Now God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting in confident faith. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as the children of Israel, yet they didn't join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. And he's saying, he's saying, because they couldn't believe in a promise, amen, because you, faith, because rest in its truest sense is, is resting in faith, amen, right. resting on a promise. Yeah. He said, because they couldn't believe in a promise that I promised them, amen, that he, he said, I, I couldn't take them to the promised land. Mm -hmm. And it, what keeps us out of God's rest, like I said, is our mind, because the children of Israel, it was in their mind that they didn't, they didn't deserve the promised land. Mm -hmm. It was in their mind. They looked at the people who possessed it and said, we're grasshoppers in their sight. In their minds, they could not possess it. And, and, and for us, God is so faithful sometimes for us. He will put you in situations where there is no logical source of, of breakthrough. There is no logical source where you can think of and say, oh, there's, there's no logical source. Because when, when there's something that's logistical, our minds will, will, will put our faith in, the, in that natural plan over, over what he has for us. Amen. So, so don't be surprised when you find yourself in situations where there is nothing that you can look for. Amen. There's nothing in sight. You are in a desert place. There's nothing in sight with no sources. Amen. Because now you have two choices. You can rest or you can stress. God loves situations where you have two choices, rest or stress. When you have something natural in your mind that you can say, okay, he left that position. I got the same qualification. Okay, I can, you know, in my mind, God can take me there. No, God wants you in situations where you can't see it around you. Yeah. He, he, wants you to, he, wants you to, he wants you to begin to rest and quit trying to figure out how he's going to do it. Yeah. Oh, when you can get to the point, when the, with, with the, with the 5,000, I realized something about, about reading that. They never told us how it happened. They never told us whether it, it fell out of the sky like manna it, it, or, or if it, they, they didn't tell us how. And it, there's a point to it because you, you don't know how God's going to bless you. Amen. Right. Bible says no eye has heard nor ear has seen. No, no eye has seen or no ear has heard. Amen. Or into the heart of man what God has for you. Amen. How he's going to do it in your life. You don't know. Amen. You don't know how he's going to do it. Quit trying to figure it out. Amen. You got to quit trying to figure out how he's going to do it. We had a lady come to our church one time named, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, Mignon Francis? Mignon Francois. Mignon Francois. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so she came to our church and she gave a testimony. And I thought, it, and it was one of my, like, my favorite testimonies of hearing somebody else's. She, she was a stay-at-home wife her whole entire life. And as her children got older, her husband came to her and said, I want a divorce and left. And she said, it was the hardest time of my life because I, I don't have anything I can do. I don't have, I don't have, a, I don't have a skill set. I don't, I, don't, I don't have experience in the workforce. I don't know how I'm going to provide for myself. And she said she, she stayed up at night and she, and she just began to, began to pray. And she said she, she finally ran up on a piece because she said, God said, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to do something for you. And she said, right then and there, I don't know, I couldn't explain it, I just had a peace about it. She said, and then he would just wake me up in the middle of the night, and he would, and he would give me, like, a recipe for a cupcake. Amen. She, and she said, I never cooked, I never baked ever in my life. And he would just give me recipe, like, recipe after recipe for a cupcake. She said, and so, she said, I just began trying it out and cooking them, you know, cooking the, the cupcakes. I ain't, got no, you know, I ain't got no job, I'm unemployed, I'm cooking cupcakes. She said, I'm just, I'm just following after God. She said, because I, I had a peace when he told me he's going to provide for me. This is, this is the recipe that he gave me. She said, I'm just cooking cupcakes. And then one day, a lady who's a realtor is, is knocking on doors, telling her about, uh, asking her about a house next door. And she said, the realtor looks in her house, and she says, are you cooking something in there? She said, yeah, I'm cooking cupcakes. She said, can I try one cupcake? She said, right then and there, that lady fell in love with her cupcake and became her number one customer, yeah. became her favorite customer. And that realtor told, told her friends about, hey, come try these cupcakes, and told her, you need to sell these cupcakes. Yeah. And before you knew it, she, she had her own business out of her house selling cupcakes. And she said, you know what? I need to get me a spot where I can actually sell these cupcakes out of. She said, before I knew it, this, this, it was a $7 million business, amen, of selling cupcakes. Yes, her husband wanted her back after that. She said, but the funny thing about it, my favorite part of, of the testimony is because so many times when somebody reaches that level, they, you know, you know, they, you know they're so, you know, they, they try to talk to you like they know it all now. We were asking her questions like, how did you market this stuff? How did you figure this stuff? How did you do this? And she kept saying, I don't know. And somebody raised her hand next. She's like, yes, yeah, you. He's like, how did you blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Next, you. How did you? I don't know. You. It, it was the same answer every time. I don't know. It was just God. When God, when God blesses you and takes you to the next level, you don't know how. You're not going to know how. Amen. You're not going to know how. Every breakthrough this church has ever had has came through a phone call that we did not expect. Amen. Every breakthrough. You don't know how he's going to do it. Amen. Quit trying to think how. In your mind, that's, that's the thing that holds you back. When you're thinking how, he, can't, he cannot bless you. You're thinking too much. You're overthinking it. He wants you in situations, amen, where I got two choices, stress or rest. Stress or rest. And it, and it doesn't take so much, you know, praying and speaking and speaking and praying and praying and speaking. I love, I love the fig tree example with Jesus. Because Jesus was, was teaching, he didn't hate fig trees. But when he cursed the fig tree, he was teaching the, the disciples something. He said, watch this. I'm about to speak to this fig tree. And it's, it's going to be like a, a miracle you know, you've never seen with me yet. I'm going to speak to it, and nothing's going to happen instantly. Nothing's going to happen instantly. I'm not going to speak to it again because nothing happened. He said, I'm going to speak one time and one time only, and I'm going to leave. And when they came back, the fig tree had changed, amen, at a later time. And Jesus is teaching you that when you are in true rest... All you got to do is speak one time. Yeah. Speak one time. Amen. I can understand if you can't believe it yet. Yeah, you can wake up every day if you can't believe it yet and say I'm healed. You can wake up every day and you don't believe it yet and say he's provided. But once you believe it and you're sure about it, all you got to do is speak one time. 
and go into rest. I, my, my last verse of scripture, I might not turn there. I'm just, I'm just going to tell you the context of it. It's the Garden of Gethsemane. Amen. Because Jesus, he's an ultimate teacher. And he spent his whole life teaching us what it was like in the rest. Amen. His whole life teaching us what it's like in the rest. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, he teaches us what it's like out of the rest. The Garden of Gethsemane represents oil pressing. Amen. That's what it means, oil pressing. It means I'm, a, I'm going to this garden. I'm about to be pressed. And something's coming out of me. Amen. It was, it was the first time that Jesus was beginning to, to sense the presence of God, amen, leaving. God separating from him, amen. In order, in order to die on the cross and be an all-sufficient Savior, he had experienced things that we, we had to experience. And he was experiencing what it was like to be out of God's rest. There was no more rest for him, amen. And he tells the disciples, and a lot of times we try to use this as our example to, for weakness, amen. We try to say, it's okay to say, let, let, let this cup pass me by. It's okay to say, my God, my God, why have thou abandoned me? But this is, this is Jesus in true separation from God. He's showing you what it's like to be completely out of his rest, completely separated from God. It's 3 o'clock, and it's, it's, it's in the early hours of the morning. The disciples are falling asleep, and they can't stay up when they can't pray with them. They're like, Jesus, it's, it's 3 in the morning, man. Jesus can't sleep. The Bible says he's crying and he's crying. His tears are like blood just flowing down his face. Amen. And he says, let this cup pass me by. There's another way. There's another way. The cross was the easy part. The separation was the hard part. The cross was cake. It was the separation. He wasn't, he wasn't ready for it. Amen. He, sa he said, my God, my God, why have thou abandoned me? Why have you left me? Why? It's almost like. Because he spent his whole life prophesying about this moment. And he gets there and he says, why have you left me? And, he, and, and the one who could once sleep through a storm in the boat, amen, and God's rest can't sleep, amen. The one who once said, come to me who is heavy, amen, I'll give you rest, is heavy now and can't find rest. He's showing you what it's like to live out of his rest. And God said, God said he said, I, ha I had to do that to him because he said he has to be an all-sufficient Savior. He has to experience everything, amen. He's not a Savior that, that's not touched with our infirmities. He said, I'm in here in the Garden of Gethsemane being pressed, amen, out of God's rest so that you never have to experience this moment. You are not, you are not designed to live outside of God's rest. You, are not, you cannot make it outside of his rest. You were never meant to live outside of God's rest. In his rest where you were designed to live and stay. You were designed to live in his rest. And, and Jesus, is, Jesus is saying, he said, he said, he said, let this cup pass me by. He said, I was, I, he said, he said I, it was the hardest part for Jesus was living outside of God's rest. And I, I love how uh, the Psalms of uh, Psalms 23 is, is everybody's favorite scripture. We read it at funerals all the time. But if you look at Psalms 22, this chapter right before is completely different. Psalms 22 starts off with David crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's, it's 22, it goes on to say, I'm surrounded by enemies. I'm surrounded by enemies, amen. He said, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it. God, I don't see you nowhere in my life. I cannot find you. Psalms 23 starts off with, with almost like a, a repentance, amen. It's, he's changed, amen. He's changed his, he's changed his thinking. He says... The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And in the Passion's Translations, verse 2, he says, he leads me to a resting place of oasis. 
it was in the resting place, amen, that he's able to walk through the valley now and, and not be afraid. It's in the resting place where he senses the rod and the staff, amen. It's in the resting place where he's able to sit at the, sit at the table, amen, in front of his enemies, amen. It's in the resting place now. It was, it was the resting place. He says, I can give you I can give you rest in a desert. place. I can give you rest no matter where you are at in life. Amen. It's in the resting place. It's in the resting place where your answer is. Quit trying to think that I can I can think my way there. I can be frustrated and get there. No, when God blesses you, he cannot bless you in any state other than rest. It's in rest that he blesses you. Amen.